Welcome back to The Digital Dive, a conversation about tech. My name is Jacqueline. I am one of your hosts. And my name is Darsh. I am your other host. This week, we're talking about the Tesla bot and what it means for our future, a law that could force the next iPhone to have USB-C, and a ton of leaks around the new Apple Watch and iPhone. If you like what you hear this episode, make sure to hit the follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and make sure that you get notified of every episode that comes out, and it also helps us get the show to more people. We really appreciate it. Roll the intro. Jacqueline, did you see the Tesla bot? I did. So many thoughts on it. I also saw your video on it. So I'll throw it to you to maybe give a rundown of what the Tesla bot actually is. And then let's talk about like what it means for the future. Absolutely. So if you guys don't know, I did a video on the Tesla bot and talking about how it could be the end of the human race. The TLDR is no, I don't think it will be, but you know, it's good for clicks. So uh, <laughs> it's a good title. So pretty much Elon Musk came on stage during his AI event to talk about the introduction of a humanoid robot that they wanted to bring to the masses to help do things that, and these are literally quotes, like this is what he said, figure out and do boring, repetitive, and dangerous tasks that you don't want to do. Anything from screwing in a light bulb to going to Mars and so on and so forth. And the idea behind it is to pretty much create a human, human looking robot, you know, Terminator, and give it a head, arms, torso, everything like that. In the interior of it, it's going to be running pretty much all the current Tesla tech. So it's going to have like the self-driving computer, like all that kind of stuff. And all the sensors are going to be on the outside as well as the cameras. And then on the face, instead of an actual face, it's going to be a screen with all useful information. And then just to make it a little bit less of a issue for people who are skeptics and scared that it's going to take over the world because it's going to be a semi-sentient or almost sentient machine, it is going to have limitations on it to prevent it from taking over the human race, aka five miles per hour maximum speed. It's going to be only be able to lift 150 pounds in a deadlift, 45 pounds in carrying, 10 pounds in extended arm carrying, and so on and so forth. So they're putting some thought into this to kind of, you know, make this seem like it's kind of a good idea. Jacqueline, just a question. Well, okay, there's two questions. Do you think that AI could be in a place, like do you think Tesla could do something with AI that could be in a place to actually listen to commands and functions and then go and carry out those functions? And do you think that this is just one of those things that Elon Musk says he wants to do and he never ends up doing? I think it could be the latter. I don't know. Did you watch Marquez's video on this? I watched like the first half of it. Okay. So in that video, he basically says like, if you buy into the narrative that Tesla is a robotics company, then this makes a lot of sense for them. Basically, he was saying like the car is a robot so that they kind of already have the infrastructure to know like how to program a robot and how to use real time data. So, for example, with cars, like to use the cameras to sense out where the car is. So he was saying that if you buy into the fact that they're already experts at that and they're a robotics company, then this makes more sense. The difference between this and a car is that the reason why autopilot is so good now is because there are like millions of car users and all of that data is sent back to Tesla and then that improves the autopilot and the data comprehension. So you would kind of need to see the Tesla bot in thousands to get the data better. Like how would it learn what headphones are and how would it learn what a good banana is from a bad banana at the grocery store. Like things like that will just take a lot of data. So in theory, it makes sense that Tesla would try to do something like this, but I think executing on it is going to be really difficult. Oh, absolutely. Like what you essentially need in the inside of it is going to be a supercomputer. You need a full-fledged supercomputer on the inside to be able to analyze all this data and analyze everything in its surroundings. Like I don't want to be walking up to a Tesla bot and then it like punches me or something because it doesn't recognize me. Like I don't want it like doing random things based on random commands that it doesn't fully understand. 
again? Like, how will it ever learn if I ever want to ask it, like, yo, go screw in a light bulb? Like, how are they going to know that? Also, will it have to be like very formal English or are they going to do what like Google's doing and try to make it more casual and like more informal with the language processing? There's a lot of things to consider here that Tesla really needs to, I guess, flesh out. But again, like Tesla is a very interesting company. And even when they premiered this and like they presented it on stage, it wasn't an actual robot. Like it wasn't a prototype at all. They even said that they want to have a prototype by next year, but that's a prototype too, right? Having a prototype by next year and then also just in a general sense, being able to put it into like production, it's going to be a couple of years, but I think it's interesting. The code name for the robot inside Tesla is called Optimus, which I just think is so, it's just so funny, like Optimus Prime. I don't get the reference. Have you ever watched Transformers? No. So in Transformers, the lead big robot that kind of like stays prevalent through all of the movies, his name is Optimus Prime and he's like the leader of the Autobots, which is the good guys. Oh, that's so cool. So it's interesting that he's named Optimus because in historical sci-fi references, you only ever see AI robots as the villain. Like in Avengers Age of Ultron, Ultron is the villain. In Terminator, you see Skynet, Terminator himself, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? So calling him Optimus is actually a pretty interesting take on it because it's like, yeah, this isn't going to take over the world. Like, don't worry about it. Like, that's kind of like, it seems where that's where it's going with it. And I think like people are always pretty worried about that, but it also kind of feels like we have a fascination with exploring things that could be risky. We also seem to have a fascination, and this is another major point in Marquez's video, with robots that look like humans, even if they're not super practical. So Marquez was saying that in most cases, he thinks that it makes more sense for a robot to be designed specifically for a task. So for example, like the car is a robot that gets you from point A to point B, a robot on like an assembly machine that just puts one part on. He was saying that human form isn't the most efficient form for a lot of different things. And it almost, I think, is like more of a media play. Like if Tesla just launched a random robot that didn't look like a human, I think it would get a lot less attention because people really are fascinated by robots that look like humans. No, absolutely. I mean, that's another thing too. Like I mentioned this in my video and I I went into a decent amount of depth into this because I really do feel that like pop culture and mainstream media have really influenced our perception of what AI is and what AI is capable of. As of right now, I can barely get Siri to turn on my lights, let alone make like a proper phone call. Half the time she gets the wrong name. And that's just because of her language functioning, right? With where AI is right now, I don't know how much of a threat this like next robot, this Tesla bot's gonna be. But at the same time, like it's gonna be really interesting to see how they can maneuver and make it work. Like one of the specifications in the presentation was it's gonna have human-like hands. Mm-hmm. That was the selling point. Like it's gonna have hands that are like humans. Like, okay, cool. Like opposable thumbs are great and all, but what else can this do? Like if I wanted to set it to, I don't know, walk my dog for me, would it be able to do that? And like, would it be able to fight off someone that like, God forbid, like tries to steal your dog? Literally, yeah. There's a lot of elements to it. It almost needs to be like a full-fledged human with like thinking out things. Exactly. And then at that point, you're getting to a point where it's like really sentient and you're like, okay, wait a minute. This is Terminator. (laughs) I mean, there's a fine line, right? Also, the whole thing about like for it not to be able to overpower you. So it's set to like a five mile per hour speed limit. Maybe you can run faster than that, but for how long? At a certain point, it will be able to overpower you because you can't run like five miles an hour for 10 hours, you know? So I feel like that's another element of it where before something like this launches to the mainstream, a lot of things are going to really need to be thought out. And I guess we're kind of seeing that come into play a little bit with Boston Dynamics, which is kind of going for a totally different approach. Have you seen those robots, Darsh? Is that the one that has like the dog robot? Yeah. And they just started a new one that like kind of looks like a human. See, here's the thing. I understand the idea of a dog robot. Like, yo, cool. Like it's a dog. It'll be like your companion, but also like it'll be smart enough to do certain things. Like take your other dog on a walk. Like that would be so cool. Like two dogs (laughs) walking themselves. Notice, imagine... 
I'm telling you, like imagine they're like tethered together. Like imagine like a dog walking thing that's just like a looks like another dog. And so like your dog has companionship. Then also it's going to walk. It also feels like they have some kind of freedom, but they don't. But they do. That's a little far fetched. I'm sorry, but I thought it was really No, funny. I mean it could happen, dude. Both the Tesla bot and Boston Dynamics, they all rely on supercomputing and also a lot of real time learning. Kind of how like the Instagram algorithm is constantly like learning. It's like machine learning. We need these products to become like that too, like how the Tesla cars get better and better over time because they learn more and more about your driving style and the roads that you're on. It's gonna have to be the same thing with these robots where they're gonna have to learn on the fly. Like, oh, if someone's waiting in line, like if there are eight people online at one cash register, but the cash register person looks fast i should go there even though the other line has less people like there are certain decisions that humans just make intuitively that would not be intuitive to a robot so i don't know it's going to play out i think we're years away to counter that just to play devil's advocate for a second if you go on your iphone and every morning you open spotify after a day or two or like a couple of days Siri will actually start recommending Spotify to you in your uh, spotlight search. So there, there is that element that's already there. And if it's in something as small as our phones, I can only imagine like a full actual like robot, like the size of an actual human, like 5'8 is taller than like actually some people. So imagine like an entire torso filled with tech and computing. Like you could probably put like a decent computer in there. Like you could put like a proper, proper PC in there if you really think about it. And Tesla says that they're good at batteries and something else, batteries and something else. They were like flexing that. And I thought that was really interesting as well. But I guess we'll just have to see. This is very much like a, if this is going to happen, like let's see how it goes. Because even on stage when he premiered the bot itself, it was a model in like a suit. It was actually a dancer and she just started dancing. She was doing super robotic moves and started going super flowy into like this really cool dance. So it's very much still like a theory. Maybe this will happen, but if it does happen, that'd be really cool. I guess time will tell. I also sometimes think that like it's just an easy press opportunity to like say that you're launching something like this because people are really scared of a robot apocalypse, but also inherently super interested in it. So by posting or creating a product like this, you're immediately going to get a lot of press coverage. Absolutely. Like that's, that's what companies have to do, right? Like you have to make bold and drastic moves to ultimately really make the headlines. Like that's what everyone does. Like even Apple did that. Apple took away the headphone jack and they were like, yo, everyone else, like forget the headphone jack. Like let's just start doing like adapters and dongles. And everyone kind of followed suit because it got a lot of press coverage. There's so many different things that Apple could do in their lineups to like get more press coverage. Like say they brought USB-C to the iPhone. Just imagine that would be pretty cool, right? They may do it, but not by choice. So a brand new article just came out about this legislation put forth by the European Commission that could end up forcing Apple to remove the lightning port in favor of USB Type-C. And it's basically that they're looking to establish a common charger to create continuity between phones and other electronics. And I guess they're planning to present the legislation next month. Half of the chargers sold within mobile phones in the European Union, supposedly in 2019, had a micro B connector, while 29% had USB-C and 21% had a lightning connector. So I guess that we're going to see potentially this litigation affect Apple. It's not specifically targeted at Apple, but I guess it's to make things less confusing and also to create a consistent experience across the board. So what do you think this means for Apple? Like if this legislation passes, what do you think happens next? Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I don't know if Apple will succumb to this. I feel like Apple is a very powerful company. And if they don't want to do something, they won't do it. I feel like there is a very big chance that if the European Commission does actually pass this legislation, Apple actually might take them to court and see if they can get something done for themselves. But if they were actually to pull this off and Apple did have to bring the USB-C port to the iPhone and to all the other products in the lineup that don't have USB-C, ultimately what we're looking at here is a USB-C iPhone because there's no way they're just going to do it in the EU. Like they can't because if they wanted to create a different product in the EU, everyone who's 
like a tech nerd is going to go outsource and buy the phone in the EU and have it imported or go to the EU. Like if they're in the EU, they'll just buy it there. Like, yeah, I know for me, at least if there was a USB-C iPhone, like count me in, I'm buying it. Like that's, that's exactly what I want. It could be a really good play for Apple if they made this next iPhone USB-C ahead of the EU and are like, yo, we already knew the USB-C was the future and they claim it like that. That'd be a good marketing ploy. But if they're like forced to do it, it'll probably still, I think this is a really good chance that USB-C is coming to the iPhone in the next year or so. So that's honestly what I thought too. But then I read an article by Front Page Tech about it. And basically their take on the situation is that if the legislation is carried out and the law is passed, it's actually unlikely to affect Apple because Apple would have years to update and comply to it. By the time that maybe happened, Apple would maybe go portless. They are trying to make the iPhone portless in the next couple of years. So then the charging cable would be irrelevant. I guess we'll have to see what happens first. Or if maybe this forces Apple to do portless sooner than they were going to. Honestly, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it does make them go portless sooner. Here's the thing with portless. I think portless is a great idea. And I would love to have portless. I don't think that we're there yet. Given, okay, everyone said this with the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. Everyone said that, okay, we're not there yet. But we kind of were. We already had wireless headphones everywhere. And everything was going Bluetooth anyway. Wireless, like fully wireless. I know there's a bunch of rumors after the iPhone. I almost said iPhone. Well, I guess they pwned me, but the iPhone 14, like there's a bunch of rumors that it's going to be fully wireless and MagSafe is going to take over. But at the same time, like what does that mean for communal charging places in the mall, for example? Like have you ever gone to a mall and like they have like charging stations? You can just like stop by, like sit down, have a coffee and charge your phone? Yeah, of course. Like what happens to that? Are they going to have MagSafe there then? No, there's no, it's too, bul- it's too bulky. It's too big. Everyone's going to have to invest in infrastructure to put then put like Qi wireless charging into tables. I guess it does exist, but it's mad expensive and it's like, kind of really inconvenient for so many people who have just implemented like USB-C and stuff into their malls. I don't know. This could go either ways. Apple could definitely circumvent this. Like they don't have to do it. I feel like they're very, very much like the front page tech article said, like they're in Apple land. They're in their own world. They're on cloud nine right now and they're not worried about anyone else killing their vibe. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. I feel like portless is just like a really big leap and it relies on wireless charging being faster than it is right now because right now it is just not fast enough to be like a really good alternative. No, absolutely. Like you can get a OnePlus phone right now and you can plug in like USB-C and you can get like what, like 50% in like 10 minutes. Like that's absurd. And that that's how it should be. Honestly, that's really how it should be. But the issue is like, there's a couple of issues. The first is like lithium batteries, which are like already a huge issue because they take forever to charge. They're also really wasteful for the environment. And then on top of that, it's also like whether or not they'll be able to actually make that technology catch up by the next year or two, whenever this legislation goes into effect, right? So it's a very confusing and like weird situation because we don't know what Apple's going to do. And I honestly don't even know what I want Apple to do. I like the idea of MagSafe, but USB-C or Lightning is just so much more convenient because there are cables everywhere. So if you switch it completely, it's, it's going to be like going from 30 pin to Lightning all over again, except there's not going to be an adapter for it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would be super excited if they had to do USB Type-C, but I'm like, I don't think it's going to happen, to be honest. Do you think they'd ever do it in a pro? And only the pro and not the other ones? Yeah, the same way they do with the iPad. I think if they're going to do it for the iPhone line, they'll probably do it universally. That's pretty fair. I was just thinking about this when I was saying, like, would they create an adapter? I feel like they actually could. Like, if you think about it, right, like a lightning port or like a USB-C cable, like a male end of it for either the lightning or the USB-C that goes into a puck and that puck is the MagSafe. And so all you have to carry with you is the MagSafe, like the little puck. And then you can plug it in wherever. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Like, that's something that Apple would do. An extra 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I feel like it's a little more likely that they're not even going to do USB Type-C and they're going to just switch from Lightning fully to MagSafe, but 
Time will tell, I guess. It's kind of tough to know. Obviously, Apple kind of has like this long plan, right? Like they don't make decisions for the day to day. They make it for the next five, 10 years. And actually the day before we recorded this, August 24th was 10 years ago that Apple co-founder Steve Jobs resigned as the CEO, leaving Tim Cook. So when we get back from the break, we're going to kind of look at what Tim Cook has done over these last 10 years as CEO and where we see him going. And before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about some Apple news about the new September event, the Apple Watch Series 7, and some other Face ID hardware. So we're going to head to a quick break to get a cold brew. And in the meantime, while you hear this like nice little music interlude, we set a goal for this podcast to hit 150 ratings on Apple Podcasts before the end of the year. So if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating during this time, that would be amazing. If we hit this goal, we're going to do like a live Discord chat with digital dive listeners to answer questions and celebrate you can help us hit this goal by rating us now and we're going to take a quick break get a cold brew and then we'll be right back all right darsh everything apple leaks there are three major ones this week yes sir Ma'am. Anyway, (laughs) let's get started. So first and foremost, there is a rumor that Apple has been testing with the new iPhone 13 to add better face ID hardware. That's essentially going to just help with masks and foggy glasses. Given that the pandemic has taken over a lot of our lives and has been what seems to be a very prevalent conversation topic for the past like year and a half, it's definitely without a doubt one of the coolest things or one of the smartest things I feel like Apple is doing. I personally don't think COVID is going anywhere. I feel like it's going to become like a flu that stays consistent and we're just going to be living with it, but it's going to become livable. We're going to be able to actually deal. But regardless of my perspective of it, Apple definitely seems to agree in some respect because they want to actually bring new face ID hardware to help with this COVID-like landscape. According to some sources, this is all from front page tech. They seem to be pretty reliable when it comes to a lot of the rumors. So I'm definitely excited for this. But pretty much the array and the prototype that's come out is based on iPhone 13 CAD files. It's a design software that you use in your computer to help render and build out different products, especially like engineers and developers will end up using stuff like that. So when they were using CAD to like start building out this prototype, this new design, they are pretty much creating extra sensors just to help with the face ID end of it. And from what it seems like, it seems like we could see this as early as the iPhone 13, which could definitely be really cool. From the renders itself, it's showing that we're going to be adding like another sensor in the left side of the notch. It's pretty much going to be an extra sensor to kind of just take extra information in and absorb it so that people who are wearing masks and or glasses have the opportunity to actually get into their phone. Like, I don't know, Jacqueline, with you, if you've ever noticed this, have you ever tried wearing sunglasses and opening face ID? Yeah, I have. And it just does not work at all. Exactly. It, it's one of the most frustrating things ever. Like if you're driving and you like park and you want to open your phone or you're getting in the car and you put on your sunglasses, you want to open your phone. You can't do that. You're in the street. You want to open your phone. You can't You have to take off your sunglasses or type in your password. That's so inconvenient. I feel like that's one of the reasons for me, at least why I miss touch ID so much, because it was just so convenient. Never really mattered how I looked. With this, this is going to be very, very interesting. And what they've been doing actually to test it is having Apple employees asked to, like they're asking Apple employees to wear masks and glasses internally to test out this new hardware, seeing if the sensors and seeing if the phone itself can actually recognize this and make it a bit easier. I think it'll be really interesting if Apple can do this. Like Jacqueline, what are your thoughts on this kind of new hardware coming to the iPhone? I think it's very overdue and very needed. We'll see. I I still really miss Touch ID though. Face ID is great, but especially with all the mask wearing, it really feels like Touch ID is like needed and wanted. So we saw a rumor a couple months back that we talked about of a potential addition of Touch ID. That would be my first choice, but I doubt that will happen. Honestly, the only time I can see them bringing back Touch ID is if they're able to nail the in-screen fingerprint sensor, which I don't think 
they have nailed yet. We've seen rumors of it, but I don't think it's going to come until earliest like iPhone 14. But in this situation, like it's definitely going to be a lot better. And in specific with the glasses, it's not even just like sunglasses that is a big issue. It's for a lot of people who wear glasses while wearing masks, like your glasses end up fogging up a bit. The way that the mask sits on your nose, as well as your glasses, pretty much all the like air that's coming out of your mouth is going straight up into your lenses. And I don't wear my glasses very often, but I do actually have a pair. And whenever I do wear them with my mask, I immediately regret it for that specific and that very singular scenario. So it's definitely something that I feel like Apple needs to work on. It's not the workaround where like you do your face ID with a mask on. It's actually done without a mask. So it is kind of new tech. Going to kind of improve on what they've been doing with the Apple Watch and having the Apple Watch unlock your phone if face ID isn't able to recognize you, which is, I guess that was a good workaround for the time being, but this is definitely something I'm very interested for. Yeah. You know, I actually, I don't think podcast listeners know this, but I wear glasses like a lot of the time actually. And it's so annoying when you're wearing a mask. I definitely am keen to see how the improvements work and hopefully mask improvements continue to get better. If you are listening to this and you wear glasses and a mask, let us know what your experience is with Face ID on Twitter at Digital Dive Pod. Absolutely, guys. Let, let us know what you guys think. But in other Apple news, another new leak that has come out is with the Apple Watch Series 7. This is mostly actually because they're looking at a full new redesign this year, which was something that has been leaked over the past couple of months. But also this year, we're looking at two new sizes rather than the old ones. So we're looking at a 41 millimeter and a 45 millimeter option. I believe we used to be at a 40 millimeter and a 44 millimeter. So we're going up a millimeter on both respects. There's definitely going to be a very good, a very nice addition. At least for me, I think it's really cool. I like my Apple watch whenever I'm like working out. It's one of the things that I use. It's like my only piece of fitness tech and I absolutely love it. And so seeing like upgrades like this, where you're getting a bigger screen so you can actually like do more on it a little bit, like it looks a bit cleaner. And you're also looking at more of a boxy design. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, each of the Apple watches have seen like a slight bump in design as well. They're looking like more actually like the iPod Nano. I don't know, Jacqueline, if you remember this, the, like, the old iPod Nano that like people used to put in the watch straps. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. So it, it's looking more like a more boxed out version of that. And it seems like that's where Apple's going with a lot of their design language moving forward with respect to the iPad, for example, they've been updating the lineup slowly and showing moving over more to a like squared off and boxy design. Same with the iPhone, the Mac everything. So I feel like the Apple Watch was like, that was destined to happen already. But the fact that they're already doing another upgrade in size after I think only two years having upgraded the last one, like I believe it was series five when they did 40 and 42 or 42 and 44, something like that millimeters. So I'm really excited for this. This is actually a pretty cool leak and I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Like the September event is going to be, I think pretty stacked. And I think a lot of us are really excited for it. I know I am. Jacqueline, what about you? I can't tell you how excited I am for this event, but for tech season, because the last two full videos are like the best performing videos on my channel in like three months. So it finally feels like we're getting back into like content season. So I am like just so excited. Me too. I, I am absolutely stoked. This is the first time I can actually participate and I'm very excited for it. Oh my God. Yeah. I'll be checking out things and posting just alongside you. So like, we're actually going to have a lot of really cool insight this year when it comes to a lot of the products that are coming out. Coolest thing is actually of all that, like we're not even just going to get one set of products from Apple this year. We're going to have multiple events in September, supposedly. According to a paywalled report from Digitimes, as seen by Mac Rumors, Apple has multiple events scheduled 
scheduled out for September. And instead of seeing three pre-recorded Apple events, apparently they actually might be hosting a series of these product launches in conference form in September, stuffing multiple products into the same month. This is going to be pretty cool because we have a lot of products that we've been expecting from Apple that haven't come out yet. And if September's a month where we get all of them, that's going to be a really hectic month. I cannot wait. And I also think we're going to be getting some Google stuff like in maybe September or October. So it should just be a busy fall. No, absolutely. Well, some of the things that we do have lined up, just to list them out, the iPhone 13 lineup, that's going to be a huge one for this year. The Apple Watch Series 7, AirPods 3, iPad Mini 6, iPad 9, the new MacBook Pro, which is hopefully going to feature the M1X or M2 chip, which is very, very exciting. Given that this is a rumor that there are going to be multiple events scheduled, I don't know if it's going to actually happen. I kind of hope it does because I feel like all these events are really entertaining to me, but I don't think it will because it seems kind of unnecessary to host like multiple press events for a lineup of products when they could just do one big drop and then like everyone's like, whoa, what the hell? Their entire lineup is like fully refreshed. Like I feel like that makes more sense because it'll get a lot more press coverage because every single product is going to get coverage then, right? And also it just seems like a huge like spend on time and money to like hold these kind of events. So whether or not it happens, I don't know, but definitely Tim Cook's been doing some crazy things since he's been in the office of the CEO. It's been 10 years now and it's been a pretty cool experience, Jack. Jacqueline, like Tim Cook, 10 years, thoughts? Dude, you're just killing it today with topic transition. So I wanted to talk about this topic because The Verge posted an article called Tim Cook's Apple 10 Years Later, Looking Back on the Decade Without Jobs, Apple's Biggest Decade Ever, which is a really bold statement. It starts out, kind of sets the stage talking about how Apple is the most valuable and profitable company in the world, which is pretty wild. And the growth has been pretty steady. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about what we think Tim Cook has done really well, and then also what we see Apple doing in the next decade. I think the first thing that I think Apple's going to be doing a lot in the next decade that I want to kind of dive into is moving over to like a service-based business model instead of just a strictly hardware one. But first, let's just talk about some of the major achievements that Tim has done over the last 10 years. Do you want to start it out, Darsh? Absolutely. So there was actually a tweet that went out and it was comparing the first quarter revenue from each year since 2011 to 2021. And you literally see like the huge increase that it's had. They've gone from their first quarter revenue going from 26.7 billion dollars, that's with a B, in 2011, all the way to Q1 2021 of 111.4 billion, capital B. That is absurd numbers. That is five times the increase or four times the increase over the course of a decade. Like That's absurd. 25% markup every single year. Further, if you spent $1,000 on an Apple stock the week that Steve Jobs stepped down, it would now be worth nearly $11,000 today. I wish I wasn't 11 years old when that happened. That would have been sick. <laughs> yeah, you could have actually made bank. No, literally. Jeez, like that's absurd. And like, that's the thing too, like it just in a stock perspective, like Apple's been killing it. Like they now have, they're approaching at least a 2.5 trillion market cap. They've been dominating the market in terms of like how much of, I guess, the overall market that they own at this point in terms of like everything that they do. Cause they are a huge company. Like you said, like you could definitely see that they're working towards more of a service based future. And so it's really interesting there. So the article basically says that if you look at it just from a financial perspective, Tim Cook has done significantly more for the company than Steve Jobs did. Between 2013 and 2018, Apple sold more iPhones every single year than they did during the five years that Steve Jobs was in charge. But financial performance, they're quoted by saying is only half the story. And that if you were to look at Cook in terms of product visionary, you probably would not be as impressed. That's like the quote. And I think it's mainly because like in the time that Steve Jobs was CEO of Apple, so many major things came out. The iPhone, 
obviously the Max. But I think that something that Apple doesn't get a lot of credit for and Tim Cook as CEO is AirPods. Because I feel like that revolutionized the headphone industry. Oh, absolutely. That was like the first pair of truly wireless earbuds that were like good, that like worked, like worked well too. They did everything you wanted them to do, like magic, like the quick pair, pausing your music, good battery life, the comfortable fit. Like they started an entire genre of products. And now when you walk down the street, I would say like at least 60% of people that I see wearing headphones are wearing AirPods. Absolutely. That's like actually so true. Like I was thinking about it today. I was like, okay, I want to buy a new pair of headphones that I can wear for when I'm working out. And my immediate thought was like, okay, I don't want AirPods because they're too small, but I also don't want like a huge set of headphones over my ears. And it's also like a fashion statement too at the gym. Like if you have AirPods, like that's clout, that's actual clout now. Like it, it's absurd. And then like there's been other swings and misses, right? Like the terrible keys for the MacBook that you and I have both experienced. Apple, I hate you for that. Sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, so like that's been bad, right? Then you look at something like the Apple Watch, which is like, and it sold really well, and it is actually making a huge impact in the healthcare industry, but it wasn't necessarily revolutionary. Like there were other smartwatches on the market, and I guess that that's like the main takeaway that I got from this article. So far, in terms of hardware products, Steve Jobs is much more innovative and more of a visionary, whereas Tim Cook has done a lot of products that tie into the iPhone, which helps build up the ecosystem, but isn't necessarily incredibly innovative, but it positions them in a place to then shift over to a service-based business model because you have really built out the hardware ecosystem. Absolutely. I think that's actually probably the thing that I would credit Tim Cook for most. It's his ability to build out an ecosystem. He may not be the visionary that Steve Jobs really was, and like, I say this, I love Steve Jobs to another extent. Like I was so sad when he passed. I was, I may have been 11 years old, but I've been like a tech nerd for so long that like when that happened, I was like watching the news with my mom and I was like, wow. Devastating. Like that was devastating, right? Tim Cook has done a very good job at building out this ecosystem, but you're right. There hasn't been any like innovative products, like nothing on the scale of either the iPhone, the iPad or the Mac. There's nothing there. It's all just accessories. And don't get me wrong, like the Apple Watch, beautiful product. Like my brother uses his Apple watch every single day. That's his like main watch. Now my mom, my dad, like they all love their Apple watches. So it's a very convenient and good product, but it's still not to the magnitude and scale that the iPhone was for the industry or the iPad was for the like, iPad was the first ever real tablet. There were never anything like that, that Tim Cook was able to do, but still credit where credit is due. Quadrupling your quarterly revenue over the course of 10 years is absurd. And especially when like those numbers are in the billions, that is absurd, absurd. There is potential for there to be something revolutionary with AI, right? I think there's a lot of potential there. That could be where Tim Cook makes his mark. But Tim Cook has said that he thinks that Apple's biggest contribution to the world is not going to be the iPhone or what they've done. It is going to be in the healthcare industry. Absolutely. And that's a really big statement. And that also means that there's tons of potential there. Like if Tim Cook can help use Apple products to save thousands of people's lives, that's a bigger contribution than a tablet, you know? So it's not even really worthwhile comparing Steve Jobs to Tim Cook because both of them are incredible in their own right. But more so looking at Apple as a company and how Apple's evolved as a company, I think that there's a lot more room for Apple to make huge impacts and strides and also to make a lot more money. In the Apple versus Epic trial, there was a document that revealed that showed that App Store alone ellipsed the company's Mac and iPad business in 2016. So like services are absolutely huge for them. They're making tons of money from services. It's only going to become more as they keep launching companion products like the Apple Card and Apple Pay. Now you can pay like within iMessage, right? And then there's also Apple TV Plus, like Ted Lasso is like one of the biggest shows this year and that's produced by Apple, right? There are tons of ways that they're going to keep building up the service-based business model. So I can only foresee them making more revenue. And then it will just come down to like, will a earth-shattering innovation also come out? It's only a tell of time. Like we're going to see as time does progress, like whether or not Apple is able to bring some 
something innovative in the product space or if they're going to just like revolutionize, like you said, like the health space or revolutionize the services space. I definitely think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, like there was talks of like an Apple hospital and like things like that sound a little bit absurd, but with a company with like a huge market size and huge market share and their huge amount of quarterly earnings, I think it's definitely possible for them to spend like a lot of money to focus on that and really try to flush it out. Something like healthcare, I think is so important. And it's definitely something I like this week hearing that Apple and Tim Cook are really working on like furthering the health game, furthering like their contribution to society. And I feel like that's honestly really dope. So I'm going to start that out actually is my first stuff I like this week. Honestly, I feel like this could be what we just talked about, like a full podcast episode. So if you guys listen to this and you're interested in hearing more, definitely tweet Darsh and me so we know. That's an awesome first stuff we like this week. My first one is the Spider-Man trailer, which I know Darsh saw as well. Yeah, that was going to be my second one. So that was so good. So oh good. my God. My friends and I, my, my siblings and I, we were all messaging each other right after it launched and we're like, we're all messaging each other as we're watching. We're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like it was, it was absurdly, I was, I had shivers. Yeah, I'm literally so excited. And that's like the type of movie that you really do want to see in the movie theaters. So I really hope that we're at a better place in the pandemic when it launches in December. There's just something about seeing a Marvel movie with a bunch of other strangers in a room that is just like unmatched. In Endgame, if you were in the theater during like the release or like when people were seeing it for the first time, when Captain America showed up and was holding Thor's hammer, the entire like audience erupted into like a huge roaring applause. Like, really? Yeah, like there's tons of videos. Like literally if you Google it, Endgame audience, Captain America, like applause, something like that. Like you'll, you'll find these videos where like literally the entire like audience just burst bursts into this huge like everyone's yelling and screaming like yeah like, this is awesome this is great like everyone's freaking out yeah marvel movies are there's something else especially in imax like absurdly good people just love it like and i and i love like the community feeling of like having that shared experience with people that you have no idea who they are oh no literally, like literally like i can go up to and talk to literally anyone who's a marvel fan and i can have a proper conversation with them for like an hour just based off of rumors just rumors that's wild <laughs> that is wild it's such a nice community and it's honestly really really dope my second one for this week is actually going to be a song. It's by this artist named Swaco. You wouldn't believe. So his first song that he came out with that like went viral, viral. It's called Fast. It has like 137 million streams, but he came out with a new song. It's called Paralyzed. It's very much like a rock song, but it's like also kind of poppy in a sense. It's really good. It's called Paralyzed by Swaco. S-U-E-C-O. All right. My last one for this week. I know this is a shorter stuff I like this week, this week is that Starbucks just updated their menu for all of the fall drinks and they have something called pumpkin spice cold brew or pumpkin sweet cream cold brew, something like that. It's basically pumpkin plus cold brew. I have not tried it yet, but I freaking like just look forward to this time of year so much. It's my favorite time of year and the drinks just add to like the festivities. So I am so stoked that they already have updated their menu in August. I'm actually very excited. I know my roommate, I believe tried the pumpkin one. He really liked it. So I am very, very excited for that. The last one of my stuff I like this week, it's less of something that's actually like I guess streamable. Actually, it kind of is. Drake and Kanye are in this entire like, excuse my French, pissing contest. And it's like really, really funny to watch. It's something very, I don't know, humorful for me. Like I just find a lot of fun in it. Pretty much it was like Drake dissed Kanye on a track and then Kanye being petty because he's Kanye leaked Drake's address. Oh my God. And Drake just laughed about it because everyone who lives in Toronto knows where Drake lives. He lives on Bridal Path. And if you just drive, you'll see his mansion. Like it's like there's OVO logos everywhere. Like you can just tell it's Drake's place and you can even Google it and find it. Like it's not too hard. So it's just really, really funny. I thought that was a really funny development this week that I was watching 
watching pretty closely. So yeah, if you guys want good drama, go check that out. It's kind of funny. <laughs> That's an interesting wreck. I didn't see any of that going on. So I've obviously been behind on social. That's an awesome one to end this week. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I feel like if you're listening at this point, you probably like the episode. So be sure to hit the follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Really does help us make sure that you get the episode, but then it also like pushes us higher in the podcast algorithm. Thank you so much to Luke Fabricatori for editing this episode and Adil Constantine for making the incredible intro and outro music. Thank you guys so, so, so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next week, Monday at 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern. We'll catch you guys next week. 